uh, we prayed for them in the in the prayer meeting this morning, and I was just able to assure assure them that we're standing with them, and um, we go through our own minor changes. They've got some quite big changes over the next few weeks, but just to say, you know, we're standing with them as that as they go through it. It's nice to see um, old friends there, but also new faces, faces that I, I didn't know, and um, really excited actually that God is adding to that venue as we've um, moved out some of us others people have added to us so God is actually you know adding to that venue too and uh, it's exciting to to see it when you just go back and get those little snapshots today we're continuing in our Roman series um, and you know the series title don't you the gospel God's power for Christian living and uh, this title today, for today, I'm going to call Belonging to Jesus. And you'll see, as we go through, the contrast that uh, Paul presents for the Romans of how they used to be under the law, but they're now brought into relationship to, with Jesus. And that great contrast that I hope that we can see. We're in Romans 7, um, and Paul continues the argument that... Uh, he started it in Romans 6, um, talking about the power of the gospel. And you remember Sam, not just because he's here, I said it in Hastings, did a great job for us uh, last week, just talking about how the power of the gospel means we can choose to say no to sin. We can choose to become slaves to righteousness because of the power of the gospel in our lives. And in Romans 7, the verses we're going to look at, also, Paul also declares that the gospel means that they're freed from the law. And a key part of knowing God's power in our lives is to know that we're no longer living under the rules of uh, rules and regulations of dead religion, but we live under the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Romans 6.14 tells us, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. It's a key kind of theme of the power of the gospel that we'll look at as we go through. So in writing to the Roman church, Paul was talking to a congregation of people which comprised a mix of Gentiles and Jewish Christians too. And those Jewish Christians would have grown up knowing, learning, and living by the Old Testament Mosaic laws, laws given by God under the old covenant, showing the ways that they were to live. And you will know things like the Ten Commandments, which are a kind of key part of that law. But there also were laws that defined more or less every aspect of their life. I looked in just in my ESV Bible at the uh, chapter headings as you come to Leviticus, one of the law books. And you get chapter headings that go, the law for burnt offerings, the laws for grain offerings, the laws for peace offerings, the laws for sin offerings, the laws for guilt offerings, the laws about leprosy, the laws for cleansing lepers, laws for cleansing houses. Sorry about this one, laws about bodily discharges. There's laws for every aspect of life. They were the basis of... God's covenant with his people at that time, and they defined the way that they were to live if they wanted to know his blessing. And those laws weren't bad things in themselves. In fact, they did define God's standards, but they were very onerous. 
And actually, they were essentially it's impossible to really keep. And the scribes and the Pharisees made a whole business out of enforcing and policing the laws. Some of you will know the story from the Old Testament where Jesus with his disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath and they picked some heads of the grain and were sort of rubbing it in their fingers and I guess they chew on it or whatever else that they were going to do. And the scribes and the Pharisees jumped on them. No, no, you can't do that. That's working on a Sabbath. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. But it shows the way in which they used those requirements of the law to pin the people down and to oppress them. And of course the laws themselves actually had no power to help people to obey them, to live righteously as they required. They could only define the uh, requirements. And the passage we look at tells us that actually the fact that those laws were then defined actually gives an opportunity for people to sin even more. You know what it is, don't you? If you've got a notice that says, oh, don't come in here, don't look into this box, what do you want to do? You want to look inside it, don't you? You want to see what it is. Or maybe, if you're like me, if you get some kind of laws and regulations set a very high standard, you just give up, you know. I can never attain to that standard. I'm just not even going to try. And the law can have some quite perverse effects sometimes. So let's look now at the, the passage. Um, maybe just before that, I'll just may uh, remind you or point you out to, I suppose, uh, a couple of references that I found quite helpful. Um, this book, which is by our very own Andrew Bunt, Who Do You Think You Are?, talks about um, our identity in Christ, but it actually has a chapter specifically on the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And in fact, I think there's a chapter on last week's passage as well. Um, yes, last week's passage as well. So if, uh, if you're interested in that read on your identity in Christ, that's Andrew's book, Who Do You Think You Are? And this book, which, uh, uh, again, Andrew gave me, and I found very helpful, actually. I, I can't say I read every word of it, um, but went through quite a lot of it. Um, 40 questions about Christians and biblical law. And, you know, as you start to think into this subject, it's quite an interesting subject for us as Christians, I think. And this is a book which sets out to uh, answer those 40 questions by a guy called Thomas Schreiner. And that's a book you can get hold of. If you can't find it, ask at the info desk, and I'm sure we can help you get hold of, of either of those. But just other books that you might want to look at if you want to delve into this a little bit more. So let's go to our passage and uh, Romans chapter 7 and starting at the first verse. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And he now goes into an illustration for marriage to show what he means. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Laws, as we've said, can only set the standard. They can't help you to keep the requirements of the law. And in that sense, as they set such a high standard, they can easily bring us guilt and condemnation as we see a standard that's so difficult to attain. You failed again. You fell short of what God wanted. For the people of Israel, the laws defined a way back from that position and the system of sacrifices and offerings allowed them to make up for their failings. But it was an onerous treadmill of trying to do enough to appease God. And that's why this passage is such good news. Because it shows us that as followers of Jesus, living under the new covenant, we're set free from striving to keep the requirements of the law in our own strength, but are empowered by the Spirit to live lives that please God. Thank you, Sam, for that. Amen. It's an amazing, it's an amazing contrast. Verse 4 perhaps sums it up best. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Just really around this verse, I've just got three sort of points to, to make, which I hope will help us understand what Paul is saying. Firstly, we're dead to the law. As Christians, the Bible tells us that we are in Christ, and because he died, we also die to our old way of living. We know the imagery, don't we? We must be born again, the Bible tells us, that rebirth, which comes obviously after a death. That picture of baptism that we go under the water with Jesus and come up again to newness of life. That picture of dying to our old lives and coming up again to live with Jesus. For the Jewish believers, this was very specific. It meant that they were now dead to their old religious habits and ways of living. The rules and requirements of the Mosaic law, which previously had governed every aspect of their lives, now hold, had no hold on them. You can imagine what a release that was for them. They died to those things. And Paul illustrated them that this through that picture of marriage that we saw. When two people get married, they make promises to each other, promises which, as we say, in the marriage service can only be broken by death, as long as we both shall live, we say. And in the case of marriage, it emphasizes God's original design for marriage, that for the husband and wife, as they make covenant promises to one another, as they come together in sexual union, the Bible tells us that two become united as one flesh a single unit that's only separated when one partner dies. Just a little bit of an aside today. Um, this is not 
a detailed preach on, on marriage. We're talking about the law and belonging to Christ. But I don't want anyone to go unduly condemned because of taking these verses in Romans 7 on their own. We know from our experiences of life, the frailty of human flesh, that it isn't always possible for people to live and to keep their marriage vows for the whole of their lives. We see marriage covenants that are broken. And the Bible gives us some guidance on this and how to handle it. As elders in the church, we've been looking at this uh, in some detail over the last few months and considering the whole subject of divorce and remarriage. I have to say that scripture is not always easy to understand on this and Bible scholars who we respect have come to different positions and so for us as leaders of the church here, we're seeking to come to a clear position on divorce and remarriage and we will preach that to you in the new year. But for now though, just to be clear, I think it's um, fair to say that we do accept that there can be some grounds other than death that lead to legitimate divorce, and which at least in some cases would not preclude remarriage. So I know that for some of people this will be a very live issue, and if it is and you want to talk to us, please do come and grab me and we can find a way to uh, talk about that some more. But I say we hope to be preaching into this topic uh, into the new year. So let's come back to the passage. And Paul leaves some aside some of the nuances and complexities around marriage here to focus on God's original plan. Marriage is that lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, each of whom remains faithful to the marriage vows until they die. And so that death which breaks the marriage vow when one of the partners dies is the parallel that you Paul used for the Jewish believers, saying that as they identified with Jesus in his death, so they were free now from the law and its requirements, free to live under grace as those belonging to Jesus. And you know, I'm so glad that for us as believers under the new covenant, we're not having to be bound by and to follow that uh, list of religious laws that we looked at, that we now live under the grace of God. It's not in that sense that laws are bad in themselves. Think of the laws of the land. You know, I'm glad that there's a law that says if someone breaks into my house and steals my things, that they will be punished if they can be caught. I'm pleased that there are speed limits. They're not always popular. And we may always think not always like them, but actually they define how we use our roads, how we keep each other safe. The safeguarding laws as well that protect our children and vulnerable adults. Laws are helpful, like these laws of the land. They set the standards, set out the ways we function. We've been doing some marriage prep recently and... Um, thinking with a couple who are about to get married about how they're going to operate in their marriage. And kind of, you know, I think it's helpful and most of us have some guidelines in the way we operate our marriage. I'd hesitate to call them laws and commands, but we have kind of principles that we live by. One of the questions in the marriage prep is, how much am I able to spend before I have to ask my partner for their permission 
kind of interesting uh, question, isn't it? Susie, I don't know, I can see you're thinking about that. I don't know what the, the answer is for you. But it's kind of an interesting question, getting under the skin of marriage, isn't it? And how much it works. And uh, when you put your finger on money, it often uh, brings a kind of sharp focus. But how much do you have to spend before you, you ask your partner? There will be other rules and guidance that you operate with within your marriage. But actually, if it's just about rules and regulations, it's not going to be a very happy marriage. Husbands are called to love their wives, to give themselves for their wives. And whilst wives might be called to obey, that's not out of slavish obedience to a repressive husband. Relationship of marriage is about love and respect, giving to one another, not about rules and laws can see the same thing when we think about bringing up children. There'll be some laws and some rules that we want to teach them for their own safety. You know, walk on the pavement, look before you cross the road, wipe your feet before you come into the house, don't put your feet on the table, what, whatever those laws and rules are. But if it's actually just about rules and punishment, it won't be a very good relationship. I remember a, a boy I grew up with, and uh, he came from a very strict household. You maybe know some of those strict households. You know, everything in its place, everything very precise, everything very white usually. And, uh, you know, this poor child grew up, and um, he was really pinned down and, um, you know, very uh, strictly punished for um, going against the rules and regulations of the house. Well, we went away for the weekend one time, and you could imagine what happened. When the restraints were lifted off, this child went wild, and uh, no one could control him. That sort of control doesn't work very well. We need to build relationships of love and trust with our children if we're going to succeed with them. Rules alone can at best bring compliance and obedience. So I'm grateful that the passage tells us that we are free from the law and its rules and its regulations, free to belong to Jesus, which is my second point. It's interesting, isn't it? It's even phrased like that, belonging to the one who died for us, who has been raised from the dead. And the glorious truth is that actually we belong to Jesus, that we're precious to him, kept safe by him, treasured, brought into that relationship with him. And I wonder why didn't they say it as I summarize it, belonging to Jesus. The verse 4 says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to him, to him who has been raised from the dead, to him who has been raised from the dead. And actually that speaks, doesn't it, of the cost of the relationship that we have been brought into. He has been raised from the dead. He suffered. He died that we might come into relationship, that we might belong to him. This is such a different way of operating from the strict adherence to the laws and the regulations that we've seen earlier. Verse 6 says, We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. 
that contrast between the new way of the spirit and the old way of the written code. God now lives inside us by his Holy Spirit. It tells us that he writes his laws on our heart. We're not talking about a rule book to be obeyed. We're talking about the spirit guiding us and leading us. God puts his laws within our hearts. And we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit to fulfill those lives. As we work with him, he changes us to be more like Jesus. Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a relationship of walking with God, knowing his voice, wanting to please him. Those desires that he puts in our heart, experiencing his love, reaching out to us, drawing us close. Knowing that he's for us in every situation. Knowing the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing news. What a contrast. Completely different way of living that God brings us into through Jesus. No longer tied to dead religion. No longer striving to attain what seems impossible. No longer condemned when we fall short. Pardoned, accepted and forgiven through Jesus. Instead of the law bringing compliance and obedience... The Spirit of God now brings us life and freedom, joy, acceptance and peace with God. And that's expressed in lives that please him. The lives that are fruitful and bear fruit for God, which is my third point. As we submit to the Spirit's work in our lives, we're transformed into Jesus' image. The Holy Spirit brings forth the fruit of the Spirit within us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those are the things, those are the fruits that we can expect will grow in us as we submit to the work of the Spirit within us, as we yield ourselves to God on a daily basis. Those are the fruit that as we display them to the world cause people to say, come you're reacting like that how come you're functioning in that way oh, that's because Jesus is living inside me Jesus is transforming me we know what it is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit hear his voice whispering in our ear do this go that way don't react now reassuring us that actually God has a hope and a future for us enabling us to live lives that please God. It's great. In um, Hastings this morning, they sung that song, I am a child of God. You know that declaration, I am a child of God. And it's the spirit within us that convinces us that we are children of God, that we stand secure. Rain and I, we had the privilege of living overseas for number of years of our lives living in um, countries where we saw other faiths up quite close, the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith. And you see that overwhelming drive that they have to follow to appease God. Can we do enough? Offering sacrifices, praying repetitively, going through these elaborate rituals. 
It's always hard to know whether you've done enough, and in fact, you never can. But through Jesus, we come straight into God's presence. We're accepted by God unconditionally. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in abundance. Not a life bound up by laws and requirements, but a life of relationship and closeness with Father God, the one who made us. A life that's fruitful as it glorifies Jesus. So really, just to draw towards an end, let me just look and make sure we've got time. Yeah. How do we apply all this? What does it mean? We're talking about power for Christian living. Most of us are not Jewish people brought up under the law. And whilst that's true, there can be so easily a tendency for us to slip back into religious thinking. Maybe if I do this, I will please God. Maybe God's not pleased with me because I haven't done the w- this in the way. I haven't lived according to his rules and regulations. I haven't followed God. Maybe he's not pleased with me. Maybe I'm not good enough. No, the grace of the gospel gives us full acceptance. The evil one can attack us using rules and regulations to dismiss us, to cause us to doubt who we are in Christ. God will never love me. I'm just a mess. I don't think I can do anything for God. No. Grace means we are accepted unconditionally. We're brought into a new way of living and thinking. We know we can never earn God's affection and pleasure. It's actually freely given to us. God delights in us. What does it mean to be empowered for Christian living as a result of this? It means that we live knowing that salvation is a work of grace. It's not earned or deserved. It's the free gift to those who are unworthy. We're saved from dead works, never being able to do enough to please God. No, his delight in is, is in us at all times. So it's easy to let law-based thinking creeping in. We need to reject it. We need to know and to stand in God's love for us. His unconditional acceptance of us. We need to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Learning to listen to his voice, to follow as he leads us. Stepping out and taking risks as God directs us, not excusing ourselves or he'd never ask me I might feel embarrassed now as God speaks as he got leads we step out choosing to say no to sin and unrighteousness allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to change us not quenching his work in our life but making room for him Let's determine that we'll live lives that glorify Jesus in everything we do. And we'll allow the Holy Spirit to bring out the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Truly, we have a great salvation. And I just love it that this passage contrasts the salvation that we stand in so clearly with the law 
and the rules and regulations that God has freed us from as he brings us into relationship with Jesus. We're going to take a little bit of time. We've got a bit of time now just to sing and to celebrate again the life that we now live within the grace of God. Celebrate's no longer about striving, about trying harder to earn approval. We've died to that. We've been crucified with Christ. Remember that baptism picture. We come to new life with God. Life in it in all its fullness. Knowing God as our Father, his acceptance, his pleasure. Maybe today you're someone who hasn't come into that relationship with God. Maybe it's been a surprise to you as we've talked about. No, it's not about religious laws and regulations. It's actually about stepping into the freedom that God has won through us, through Jesus. And maybe that's for you. Then today's a day to respond to that. To say, Jesus, I want you to deal with my sin. To bring me into that relationship with a holy God. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just slipped into a bit of law-based religious thinking. Oh, I'm not sure God loves me. Maybe God's punishing me. Maybe he doesn't think I'm worthy. No, God's delight, God's delight is in each one of us who turns to him and accepts all that he offers us in Jesus. It's not about performance. It's not about pleasing God. It's about standing in the position that God has won for us. We're going to sing, we're going to celebrate, and I'm going to hand back to Andrew and Laurie who will lead us through that.